Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. I'm Tom Shalou. I'm Sandra Smith. I'm Steve Ducey, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, June 19th, 2023, on my manual. Secretary of State Tony Blinken is in Beijing for talks with the Chinese government at a tense time in relations between the two global superpowers. This is where we need to be firm and have uh, our adversaries know that this is a line that cannot be crossed. And I'm just not confident that that's the message that's being delivered. I'm Chris Foster. Cars and trucks aren't ready to really drive themselves yet. Sometimes they crash and people get killed. There are a lot more Teslas on the road now than there were last year or five years ago. Uh, So obviously those numbers are going to go up and they're going to be investigated to see how it works. But we do know there are some where there have been cases where it's clearly not worked the way it was supposed to work. And I'm Mark Thiessen. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. The U.S. Secretary of State Tony Blinken is in Beijing for talks on a wide range of issues. Kentucky Republican Senator Rand Paul expressed support on Sunday morning futures. There's a lot of discussions and ongoing diplomacy that needs to occur. So I actually wish Blinken well, and I'm glad he's making the trip. But other Republicans like Florida Congressman Michael Waltz say the visit to Beijing is a mistake. Secretary Blinken should not be on this trip. I don't know what more the Chinese Communist Party has to do in terms of violating uh, U.S. sovereignty and, and international law. The visit comes as there are concerns about Chinese spying on the U.S. from Cuba and other provocative actions from Beijing that, according to National Security Council spokesman John Kirby, is old news. This is not a new development um, uh, that, uh, that China has been uh, trying to uh, achieve Uh, some intelligence gathering capabilities uh, in in Cuba and, frankly, elsewhere in the hemisphere. Back here at home, Congress is also weighing the possibility of pursuing impeachment of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas for the illegal immigration crisis at our southern border. On NBC's Today, Mayorkas defended his record. We are operating within the constraints of a broken immigration system. There is unanimous agreement about that fact. Chairman of the House Homeland Security Committee, Congressman Mark Green, says this is no excuse. You know, they swore an oath to, to protect Americans, to protect the Constitution of the United States and our rights, and uh, they, they failed to do that. As lawmakers watched to see how this VIP visit to Beijing at a tense time in U.S.-Chinese relations plays out. I'm a little torn with Secretary Blinken visiting China. Congressman Tony Gonzalez is a Texas Republican. I mean, one, it's good that he is doing his job for once. I appreciate that. But, I mean, do we really want Secretary Blinken to be the one sitting across the negotiating table from the Chinese Communist uh, Party? Do we think he's going to bring up the uh, spy balloon? Even more important, do we think he's going to bring up fentanyl? 
because that is what's killing hundreds of thousands of Americans, or is this just going to be a dog and pony show? Uh, the other thing, too, I'm a little upset is uh, why isn't Secretary Blinken going to other places like Guatemala and Honduras and El Salvador and Cuba? Uh, you know, China is making play throughout Central and South America. So I, I'm a little concerned that, uh, that he's the one traveling, but uh, we'll see how it pans out. There's also the recent news that China and Cuba are working together to establish a new Chinese spying facility. Uh, really shocked a lot of Americans. What may shock them more is that they've been likely working together since 2019. I know you've been digging into this. How should the U.S. respond? Yeah, we should be very concerned with the growing relationship that China is having with Cuba and, and other very nefarious actors. I was uh, I was in Guantanamo Bay about five years ago when I was in the Navy, and we were concerned then with the relationship that China and Cuba uh, had. Once again, this is where we need to be firm and have uh, our adversaries know that this is a line that cannot be crossed. And I'm just not confident that that's the message that's being delivered. As a Texan, this ties in two important issues. Homeland Security Committee Chair Congressman Mark Green said another problem at the border is China with many military-aged Chinese males with previous ties to the People's Liberation Army entering the United States. And, of course, you touched on it, China's role in producing and pumping fentanyl into America. What can or should the United States do about all this? I think step one is we have to realize that no one from the White House is going to come save the day. What does that mean? That means Congress has to pick up the, the pace, go to places that we hadn't gone before and have conversations. Uh, I'll give you an example. A few months back, I, I did a congressional delegation to Central America where I visited with uh, the president of Guatemala and, and others, El Salvador and Honduras, and no one had been there in years. And no one's home. No one's paying attention to this. So uh, that's part of it. Uh, the other thing I think, too, is, you know, a lot of these Chinese people that are fleeing China, they're fleeing communist China for freedom. So there's this this mix, too, right? How do we make sure that those that are coming over legitimately have asylum claims, that they're fleeing persecution in communist China, and we don't allow these bad actors that are tied to the Communist Party in fentanyl's killing kids? About uh, three months ago, I traveled to uh, to Mexico City and had a sit-down with the president of Mexico, Lopez Obrador. And one of the discussions uh, that I brought up was um, fentanyl. And to go, look, fentanyl is coming from Mexico. What can you do to stop that? was interesting enough is he agreed. He didn't agree to much. He agreed to have a conversation with the Chinese government, and he did. So these are the kind of things we need to pressure our neighbors and our, and our allies to be able to hold China accountable. Congressman, here at Fox, we've had basically round-the-clock coverage for the past two-plus years on the crisis at our southern border as a Texan. What's the latest you've been seeing and hearing in terms of the crisis at the border? You know, Mike, for some it's gotten better, for others it's gotten worse. And I'll give you an example. I, I did a ride-along with the Zavala County Sheriff's Department just a few days ago. This area is maybe about 85 miles from the southern border. And I met with a rancher, and ranchers in particular, for them the situation has gotten worse. This rancher in the past 10 months 
has had 35 high-speed chases come through his property, destroy his fences, destroy his gates, 35. It's insane. So in that case, those numbers are going up. Uh, you know, the last few days in Del Rio has been between 800 to 1,000. That's just one sector. 800 to 1,000 apprehensions. Uh, across the border, there's around 3,000. What does that equate to? It equates to about a million people a year. If we think that's getting better or if that's mission accomplished, then we're in a world of hurt. Many migrants who enter our southern border have ultimately been transported elsewhere to major cities like New York City, Washington, D.C., and Chicago. And now you have these cities struggling to find the resources to properly house and care for these people. Uh, But to be fair, if you didn't ship them elsewhere, would the rest of the country really get how difficult it is in places like Texas and Arizona? It's a great point because until it's in your backyard, it's not real. Oh, that's just happening elsewhere. There is a mentality of it'll never happen to me. And so this has impacted everybody. It's not just Texas or the states along the border. It, it is the entire country. I had a conversation uh, with some leadership in San Antonio. San Antonio is about two and a half hours from the border. And what I told them was, once you get in this game, once you get in this uh, migrant business, if you will, you don't get out. It only consumes even more of your time, your energy, and your resources. And they had firefighters operate in a migrant center, and I pushed back heavily against that, and, uh, and they were able to finally, they got some other folks to do it. But it wasn't our firefighters. That's what I worry about is w- these other communities, let's say New York or Denver or Chicago, if nobody is questioning what the local leadership is doing, what they're going to do is they're going to put Americans last, and they're just going to continue to push that, that migrants get all these, these different uh, resources, which I want to help people that are in need. But 9 out of 10 people that apply for asylum do not qualify for asylum. So President Biden needs to stop sending them down a dead-end route. Republicans on the House Homeland Security Committee, including yourself, announced last week that a review of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas will be conducted via a five-phase plan due to Mayorkas's alleged failure to act diligently in his role to secure the border. The investigation could serve as the grounds for the potential impeachment of Secretary Mayorkas, something many House Republicans have been pushing for. What do you expect to find, and do you think an impeachment could be possible? The United States has only impeached one secretary in the history of our country, one ever. So what, what I worry is we're going to go down this route, consume all this time, energy and effort, get the American public's interest and, and, and hope risen, and then all of a sudden nothing is going to come of it. You know, has Secretary America's done a terrible job? Yeah, 100%. There's no doubt. Very few people can question that. But the, the impeachment route is where it gets difficult. But you're going to see House Republicans work on that. It's a priority for us. Uh, the big thing that I look at is how do we hold him accountable today? Uh, whether there's a trial or not a trial, what can I, how can we push him to do his job today? And a big part of that is just, just enforcing the laws that are already on the books. Uh, yes, we need to have these different reforms, and House Republicans have passed H.R. 2 and done some other things. Uh, but, but ultimately, if you enforce the laws that are already in the books, then it takes care of itself. So uh, through the Appropriations Committee, I sit on the Appropriations Committee. One of the things that I've been looking at is going, what tools does DHS need to be successful? And in my eyes, it's repatriation flights. That's 
uh, folks that do not qualify for asylum. You don't bus them to Martha's Vineyard, as fun as that was, or Chicago or New York or, or L.A. or anywhere else. You, you get them on a plane and you fly them back to their country of origin. So if DHS can have more resources to do those type of things, then all of a sudden you start enforcing the laws. But you can't allow it to have a blank check where you're just spending money, giving money to all these different organizations that are just helping with the border crisis. So that's that's a big part of it. But we have to keep it in the news. We have to keep talking about it. You know, a thousand people in one of my in one of my sectors. I mean, those are historic numbers. Three thousand mm-hmm. a day is historic numbers. Uh, we we have to keep the pressure on. Finally, as a member of the Appropriations Committee, we got through the debt deal. The next financial battle on the horizon is September 30th, the end of the fiscal year. Do you worry about a potential government shutdown because the House and the Senate have very different views on spending? I do worry about a government shutdown. And, and in my eyes, a government shutdown or a continuous resolution is one of the most dangerous things that our country can do. And places like China are rooting for us to have a government shutdown. Places like Russia and Cuba are rooting for us to have a government shutdown. Is spending out of control? Yes. Do we need to have serious conversations? Yes. But there is, there should not be a point where shutting the government down is the goal. And I know that's the goal for, for some people, uh, but, but there's others that, that have to, you know, that sit on the appropriations committee that have to keep things open. They have to, you know, we don't want to make, we, have, we want to make sure that folks get their social security check, that get their, their VA disability check on time, that our military is funded. Uh, I think you can accomplish both, but there is, Mike, there is a fight coming and uh and we have to we have to make sure that we can navigate it and remove politics from it because there's some of these things that play well politically shutting down the government plays well politically but there you know there is a element of governing that if you don't govern this country correctly you know we we're in a world of hurt congressman tony gonzalez of the great state of texas grateful for your time have a great week all right take care Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. This is Mark Thiessen with your Fox News commentary coming up. Tesla's in autopilot mode since 2019 have been involved in 736 crashes, 17 fatal, according to Washington Post analysis of Federal National Highway Traffic Safety Administration data. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg said last month he's concerned about some of the technology's marketing. I don't think that something should be called, for example, an autopilot uh, when the fine print says you need to have your hands on the wheel and the eyes on the road at all times. And I just want to be clear. Any vehicle you can go to a dealer or or go uh, as a consumer and buy today, no matter how good the technology, still requires you to pay attention if you're driving. Like he says, the cars aren't meant to drive themselves and don't. Look, autopilot is very restricted. Fox News automotive editor Gary Gastelou. It's basically a lane centering, adaptive cruise control, can drive on the highway, keep you in a lane, and you can do a lane change with it. Full self-driving is the one that really takes it to the streets, the one that, you know, you see the videos online of people 
making to do every sort of move you can imagine through town. You know, I got to be honest, autopilot. Last time I tried to test it was just a couple of weeks ago. I don't even think it's as impressive as some of the other lane keeping adaptive cruise controls you can get that don't have the cool name, right. that aren't as advanced as this. So, uh, you know, they kind of moved to the full self driving. They're still developing that. Autopilot's almost like a normal feature now. It's not even as impressive as it used to be. They've always changed what it could do over time. They move it back and forth right. depending on how much they want to charge for it. Yeah. I mean, there was a time when uh, I remember the first time I had what is it called adaptive cruise control where it just goes with the distance of the car in front of you. And right. I thought that was magic. And now that's becoming fairly standard, right? You can get that in $20,000 cars now as standard equipment. It's amazing how that's trickled down so far. The Tesla crashes. Are there crashes like any other crashes, or are there similarities? Look, we know there have been crashes that have very much involved autopilot or full self-driving failing to do what it could do. As far as this big report is concerned, the automakers are now required to report when they hear about crashes that involve their ADAS, their advanced driver assistance systems. Mm -hmm. So if they don't hear about it, they don't have to report it. Tesla's cars are all connected, so they hear about all of them. Now, the other part of this uh, report, there were these fatalities, there were these injuries, but to call it autopilot involved, that just means the cars had autopilot. Right. There are a lot more Teslas on the road now than there were last year or five years ago. Uh, so obviously those numbers are going to go up and they're going to be investigated to see how it works. But we do know there are some where there have been cases where it's clearly not worked the way it was supposed to work. Uh, whether or not it's 17 fatalities and 800-something crashes is yet to be seen. Got it. I mean, Elon Musk... Uh has a CEO, obviously. Um, he says, look, crash rates is what you need to be looking at. And there, he says, um, the technology has has better rates than unassisted driving, that, that it's better than humans. Yeah, and that's what Tesla's numbers show. Uh, I mean, again, that's sort of thing that needs to be parsed out a little bit more. And one of the problems is the, the automakers don't really keep as much track of this, the legacy automakers, because they're non-connected cars that have adaptive cruise control, lane center, adaptive cruise control. They don't know right. that the people are using them. They're not tied into that, so they can't point to it and say, well, ours are just as good as well. So, I mean, there's a lot more data needed before those sorts of pronouncements could really be clarified. The Transportation Secretary, Pete Buttigieg, has said that he's concerned about the marketing of these systems and even calling it autopilot is does the advertising overpromise or is it very clear that what what you're getting here look if you read through the fine print it explains it perfectly and it tells you that you're not supposed to take your hands off the wheel when you're using it but when you see the videos online clearly people are doing that yeah. i mean people do that with the less advanced systems as well because they think they're neat right. uh, but when you have something that's called autopilot when you have something that's called full self-driving you're going to want to see how much it could drive itself and you're going to take your hands off the wheel every now and then yeah um but you know are there are there egregious cases? I know there's at least a few where people are just literally watching a movie on their laptop when their car's going down the highway. No, I've seen videos of people sitting in the back seat of Teslas <laughs> with nobody in the driver's seat relying on these systems to work, you know, for the lulls online. So right. that is going on. Now, is a million people doing that? Who knows? But people do do that for sure. Electric vehicles in general, as they become more prevalent, we're going to need charging stations everywhere, 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 like gas stations. And they're going to have to handle, they're either going to have to handle different makes and models or they're going to have to be standardized. Where are we with that? We are at that VHS beta inflection point right now, and Tesla really threw a wrench in the works by getting Ford and General Motors to 
now commit to adopting the Tesla standard, uh, which is a great standard. It's the best one. Most of the charging networks, they're not reliable. The cord is big and clunky. The Tesla supercharger is lighter, uh, easier to plug in, and the systems themselves have proven to be the best as far as that you can count on them when you actually show up at a station to be able to charge. Uh, but does that change now that it goes beyond Tesla, that you've opened that up? You know, Apple's work great, too, because it's a closed environment. Uh, you know, once you start bringing in software and compatibility with other vehicles, it could mess that up. We'll see. Uh, the real question is, though, now that we have that $7.5 billion in federal money coming to this to build out this network, that requires you to have the other charger, the CCS, the one that most cars have today. So now Tesla, if it wants to take advantage of that, it's going to need supercharger stations that have both, which it's already starting to build. Uh, and again, does that cause more problems? We don't know. I mean, it, the Tesla supercharger is a great thing. It's one of the best parts about owning a Tesla. So it's really going to be interesting to see if they can keep that up with bringing other brands on board. Is it possible to have to, to mix the technologies to have an adapter to use for a non-Tesla charger? Use a te- like have some sort of adapter, like you like like with an Apple Lightning cable, you can buy an adapter so that you can use any old headphones. Yeah, so Tesla's opening up its network to non-Tesla vehicles with an adapter. In fact, the first Fords and GMs next year, you're going to need an adapter because the current cars don't have the Tesla plug. Uh, In 2025, they're going to start putting the Tesla plug in from the factory. But yeah, there are adapters now, and a Tesla can charge it, a non-Tesla supercharger with an adapter as well. But really down to these two. It's CCS, the combined charging system, and the Tesla version. There was another one called Chatemo that's still around, but it was really just the Nissan Leaf and a couple other Japanese cars but that's finally going away. Uh, Whether or not these two continue to exist side by side, we'll have to see. At some point, maybe the government says, you know what, everybody likes a Tesla, let's do that. But the problem is we're spending the money now on these charging stations, Mm -hmm. and now five years from now, we're going to have to rebuild them to accommodate the standard that everybody ended up going with. Right, right, right. Some detractors of EVs, like maybe old gearheads who just like their older cars, they say, look, haha, you bought this EV, you bought a Chevy Volt, and now your battery's shot, and it's going to cost you more than you paid for the car to replace the battery. Where are we with battery production and replacement and recycling? It's still an issue, very much, and will be for years, especially now as we're ramping up production of the new vehicles, because you need these materials to build the batteries, whether they're replacement batteries or new vehicle batteries. Uh, it'll probably be 10 years before we're at a point where we've built enough batteries, we can recycle the ones coming off the road to make new ones that aren't as expensive as the ones today. Uh, We're definitely not at the point where you can go get a replacement battery and everything's fine. Uh, There's definitely issues. It really comes down to materials and processing of those materials, which is why Tesla's building a a processing plan of its own uh, to help increase production. Yeah, I mean, that that criticism doesn't take into account scale. And the companies are going to have financial incentives now to get that technology better and cheaper. And and more recyclable, et cetera. And the other thing we're learning, Teslas, older Teslas, actually hold up really well. Their batteries keep their charge very well over 10 years. Uh, so they don't need to be as re- replaced as often as we expected, maybe. Uh, you know, you get in an accident, that's a whole different story. Usually you have to uh, write these off completely. Yep. Uh, but as far as just the replacements are concerned, the batteries definitely last and are usable uh, much longer than I think a lot of people expected. 
Are EV and hybrid prices getting closer to gas only? I haven't priced them out in a while. It's getting closer. And I mean, once you throw the federal tax credit on it, which is the whole point of it, it's very close. And, yeah. and sometimes it's even cheaper, depending on what state you live in. We're still probably five years away before there's a comfortable parity here mm-hmm. uh, between gas and battery-powered vehicles. But the gap is closing. It's just... It's like memory chips and computers. It just right. takes a while. It's sure. a couple of year process to get to the next one, and then the next one, and then the next one. There's no holy grail tomorrow. We've got cheap batteries that'll give you a thousand miles of charge. You get to test drive stuff uh, as part of your job. Tell me about this 2023 Toyota Prius Prime. I had no idea there were at least partially a little bit solar powered cars. Could that be part of the future? It's getting there. Solar panels are very inefficient still, even the best ones. And for example, this Prius Prime, the whole roof, you can get it with a solar panel. It's 185 watts. So if you leave it out in the sun all day in a sunny place, you can maybe get three to six miles worth of electricity. You know, again, over time that adds up and it becomes yeah. something, but that's really not it's a, a, it's solar a, it's a bit of a, It's a bit of a gimmick. It is. It, although they've gotten to the point where, you know, in five years, you could actually make your money back on this. It'll pay for itself. But, you know, there, you've got to get that 10 times better before you can actually have something that you can call a true solar-powered car, and that's not happening anytime soon. Solar energy is just not advancing that quickly. Is it true that the gap between the worst cars and the best cars, I mean, not not the bells and whistles, but in terms of performance and safety, it's better than it used to be, right? There's really aren't lemons anymore. Absolutely. I mean, and you run into problems with expensive cars as far as recalls and all that sort of thing. We've seen that with Tesla, for instance. But as far as just comfort, day-to-day drivability, uh, it's really, there are really no junky cars anymore. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, sure. you can go buy a brand new car and it was a hunk of junk. Right. That really doesn't exist anymore, which is great. And And I have a hard time justifying premium cars, luxury cars to people a lot of times because the high-end Fords and Chevys are so good, it's hard to make an argument to spend an extra twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 to move up to the next level. Gary Gastelou, Fox News Digital's automotive editor. Gary, good to see you. Good to see you. Here's a look at the week ahead. Monday, Americans celebrate one of the newest federal holidays, Juneteenth. It marks the day when the last of the country's enslaved people were informed of their freedom nearly two years after the Emancipation Proclamation. Tuesday, a trial against Boeing scheduled to begin in Chicago. It's for the 2019 crash of a 737 MAX jet in Ethiopia that killed all 157 people on board. It also led to a 20-month grounding of all 737 MAX aircraft. Wednesday marks the first day of summer. It's also the summer solstice as the sun reaches its northernmost point from the equator. Thursday, President Biden will host Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi at the White House for a state dinner. Prior to that event, Modi will address a joint meeting of Congress. Friday, NATO wraps up its largest ever air exercise in Europe. Air Defender 23 has seen 24 NATO allies participating with about 10,000 personnel and 220 aircraft. And that's a look at your week ahead. I'm Rich Dennison, Fox News. been saving the world for a while now on this podcast, and I'm ready to take it to the next level. Starting on June 26th, you can listen to me, Kennedy, five days a week right here. Listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Mark Thiessen. 
What's on your mind? In his 2020 victory speech, Joe Biden declared that, quote, to everything there is a season, a time to build, a time to reap, a time to sow, and a time to heal. This is the time to heal in America, unquote. Well, if he wants to deliver on that promise to heal the country, he could do so with one action, pardon Donald Trump. On the merits, the case against Trump is damning. And it doesn't take a close reading of the federal indictment to understand that the former president's problems are of his own making. Had he simply returned the documents as Mike Pence did when it became clear he had classified papers, Trump almost certainly would not have been charged as Pence has not been. His misconduct was egregious, irresponsible, and probably criminal. Anyone else would be seeking a plea bargain. But his indictment has also put our nation into uncharted territory. The threshold for the sitting president's administration to indict the leading candidate of the opposition party should be extraordinarily high, high enough to mitigate the suspicion held by 80 percent of Republicans and almost half the nation, according to an ABC News Ipsos poll, that these charges were politically motivated. Indeed, millions of Americans believe that our legal system is being weaponized against Trump and by extension against them. The dangers this poses to our democracy are obvious. Selective prosecution is not a defense in the court of law. But in the court of public opinion, that's another matter. Millions will see Trump's prosecution as illegitimate and any conviction as unjust. That will further erode public confidence in our judicial system and the principle of equal justice under law. A Trump trial would be one of the most divisive events in the history of our republic. It would set a new precedent and create enormous pressure on the next Republican president to go after President Biden, his family, and other Democrats. And to remedy what harm? Despite Trump's best efforts to obstruct them, federal agents recovered the documents he unlawfully possessed. And there is nothing in the indictment to indicate evidence that the intelligence in Trump's possession was obtained by foreign governments or intelligence services. There's another risk, too. Trump might be acquitted. All it takes is one juror and Trump walks. If that happens, University of California Berkeley law professor John Yu tells me, then the Justice Department will single-handedly have handed the presidency to Donald Trump. Consider the implications of that outcome for the U.S. government and our political system. Whether righteous or not, the decision to prosecute Trump has opened a Pandora's box. It is in Biden's power to close it by pardoning his predecessor. Trump wouldn't have to admit he did anything wrong, but pardoning him also does not mean absolving Trump of responsibility for his actions. Biden should instruct special counsel Jack Smith to produce a report, much like those issued by special counsels Robert Mueller and John Durham, laying out his findings in meticulous detail. In pardoning Trump, Biden would be a true statesman. Sparing the country the ordeal of a trial would go a long way towards repairing the nation's frayed political fabric. He would display the kind of leadership that has been missing in Washington, and he would drive Trump crazy. With one action, Biden would eliminate the narrative of a deep state conspiracy that is helping fuel Trump's political comeback. The White House has insisted that the buck stops with Smith, the special counsel appointed by Attorney General Merrick Garland. That is wrong. The buck stops with Biden. He is the boss. And on his order, the weaponization of the executive branch against a former president and political rival and the consequent loss of faith in American government could be stopped. To be sure, Biden would face blowback. Progressive hardliners would no doubt say the president could lose his party's left flank if he hands a get out of jail free card to his predecessor. And there are plenty of Democrats and a few Republicans who believe that pardoning a man who a priori appears so guilty would only further erode American respect for the rule of law. But none of these political factors should be part of the president's consideration of Trump's legal future. This isn't about Trump. It's about the nation. It is within Biden's power to restore the norms that have been torn apart, both by Trump and his opponents. If ever there was a time to heal, this is it. I'm Mark Thiessen, and I co-wrote this piece with my AEI colleague, Danielle Pletka. 
You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The Will Kane Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Kane as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.